even though we understand television, video, streaming, whatever movies shows, even though we know it's fake, scripts, actors, make-believe, there are things we take away as real. Like, for instance, the way in which people communicate, talk with each other. Take any show you enjoy watching, right? Person A speaks, person B speaks, person C speaks, and out of nowhere, 100 people start to laugh. So next time at the office, you say something, I say something, and then nobody's laughing. Next time, I'll just think it. I want to say it, but I better not. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me, if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? Start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics of all time today. And we have Dr. Ethan Becker, who's going to be here as a speech coach. He's a speaker. He's an author of the book around mastering communication at work, which is in its second edition. It's about how to lead, how to manage and how to influence. And really this topic of communication is what I'm so excited about because most of you might know I'm a big advocate of sales. And one of the ways I describe sales is communications with a purpose. And so here we're going to break down why this skill is so important And Dr. Ethan Becker himself is the president of the speech improvement company. Get this, has helped over a million people worldwide, known for helping executives and founding startups to start their way into coaching better, teaching better, communicating better, been around since the 1960s. Now, he is a second-generation speed coach and spent his entire life around the study and education of human communication. Some of the places that he's taught, what he's taught is around Australia, Singapore, Japan, and pretty much every major country around the world, and has spoken with organizations such as the Harvard University, Boston Scientific, Bain Capital, Forrester Research, New York Giants, and so many more. His latest edition just came out for Mastering Communication at Work, and we're going to talk a lot about communication, especially in this new era where a lot of us are communicating in the digital space. Ethan, such a pleasure to have you here, and thank you so much for coming to share. Thanks, Jason. I am psyched to be here. It's really nice. Well, we were talking just before we we started hitting the record here about your own journey where you kind of started as a student to the practice that was actually led within the family. And I'd love to hear like when you started off, you know, you were a business owner, you were involved in these startups, this tech world, what were some of the things you were particularly feeling that you might be falling short when it comes to communication that you felt you needed to be a student for? Well, I think for me, I guess the question is when did the, where to start on that timeline of being a student? Because in my world, it started as a little kid. And so it was just, learning was just a part of, life 
So whether it was at school or in my first job or second job, things like that. I think in the business world where it really started to take off or it became more real business, I guess, for me would be in my, one of my positions where we were building an online uh, portal for video in the nineties. And I was part of a larger company and I was tasked to uh, lead a small team, special ops. We, we called ourselves because we were sort of outside of the normal stuff that company was doing. We needed to innovate and come up with some ideas. So we started researching dot coms and this was in the nineties when they would go up and go down, go up and go down. Getting $5 million was pretty easy for a lot of companies. And then they would, they would blow it on things like furniture <laughs> and stuff and have no business plan, right? So the communication component became very, very important. Uh, learning how to listen, how to enter. We went on tour and started researching throughout the United States, at least different dot-coms that were working and not working and just learning so we could determine whether we wanted to do a spin out off of this company or try to do it within the company, which ultimately we chose to do. Uh, we felt all the resources were free because we were inside of a larger organization. We didn't have to go get a building. We didn't have to go get all of these things. So we did, we did it internally and it was amazing. I mean, it really took off. It was, it was pretty fun, but communication was key. You got to listen and then you got to sell internally. You get to sell senior management, sell senior leaders on the idea. And, and back then, the idea of video on the internet was relatively new and annoying and obnoxious. But, you know, we could see it was coming. I mean, we, we, we would talk with like NBC, CBS, uh, Excite, if anybody remembers them when they were the big search engine, you know, and whoever would go over to Yahoo. I and mean, we, we knew a lot of people in the business and listened to what they went through and it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Now you speak about communication being this key throughout this process. And you mentioned the component of listening, right? But, you know, listening, I know is one of the important things, but we have this inherent fear, right? When it comes to communication, there's a bit of a, a shyness that can naturally present itself. Let's not even introduce the concept of public speaking in the realm of communication. But I'd be curious to know, since you've worked now, for the speech improvement company and you work with all these executives, what are the typical things you see and the natural fears that seem to arise when it comes to communication and why are they there? Sure. We do see this quite a bit. That world I just described, that was back in the 90s. And from there, I came into the family business formally as a coach. I wasn't just sort of a client of my parents, but I joined the rest of the team. And it's not just me. There's a whole team. It's about 15 to 20 of us. And we're in a second generation of coaches now. So when we, it's not just me talking with executives, our team gathers every month and has for like 57 years now, every month, the team gets together and we discuss what are the trends? What do we see? What do we hear? Not compromising privacy, but like we look at the latest research and then we decide if we think it's relevant or not. And I think with, to your question about executives, uh, the nervousness is probably one of the top three topics that come up, no matter how senior or celebrity someone is, could be a leader of a country, uh, you know, a household name person. Uh, the nervousness is a very human thing and it's very real. And the reason people probably have heard, oh, it's one of the, it's, you know, higher than death. More people are afraid to speak than die. Like that's been said a lot. But the reason that that is, is because it's different for different people. For one person, they could get up in front of a thousand people and be completely relaxed that same person in front of a small group of three and they get nervous. 
For someone else, it could be the reverse of that. For someone else, it has nothing to do with the size of the group. It's something else, whether they prepared properly or who could be who's in the room. There's a lot of reasons, which is why we don't hear, there's no one fix. The, the, the old fashioned uh, picture them in their underwear, you know, that doesn't work for a lot of people or put your hands on your hips. You know, the Wonder Woman pose doesn't work for a lot of people. Why? Because the psychology is unique to the individual. So if those things are related to that individual, they're going to work great. If they're not, they don't. And then it's very stressful for the speaker when their friend or their colleague says, oh, just do fill in the blank. And it doesn't, it's, that's not necessarily helpful. So we have to help them in other ways. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because yes, it, it's, it's happened. And I think I've been guilty of this. I've tried to give advice for people on how to be doing better public speaking. And in my case, like I was the one that was very shy when it came to communicating, when I was going through university, I remember this, this one talk that I gave where I was holding a piece of paper and I was shaking so much that paper just kept making that wrinkling sound where I had to stop, turn around, take a deep breath, turn back to the audience and then start speaking. And it was one of the most embarrassing things because I still did that talk and it was terrible. <laughs> I wish I could have said it magically became better, but I actually started like, for me, what happened is I started using like affirmations and just telling myself like, yes, I'm great at public speaking. I got into groups and I got exposed, right? I, I got to practice. And I think that's really what just allowed me to get better, but I forget what it was like. Like now I do a lot of speaking and this is something I've become quite comfortable with. But I forget what it's like to be in the beginning stages when you're just getting started and you haven't been exposed, which, you know, the time advice that I usually get people is just saying, hey, just get more exposure, practice and tell yourself, you know, positive things. It'll get you along the way. But what you're saying right now is maybe that's not the best advice because everybody's different. Well, you're on the right track. It's not just positive things. That's the thing, right? It has to do when we look at the psychology in what's technically referred to as the, the fear of public speaking is the, well, that's the language we like to use with it. When we look at the, the cause, it comes, we, well, here's, here's one way of looking at it, ABC. A stands for the activating event. If I had a fear of flying, the act might be getting on an airplane. If it's a fear of public speaking, it might be the act of standing up in front of a large group. But see, for someone else, the A is different. It's the act of standing up in front of their peers at work, right? And then C is the consequence, shaking hands, as you described, you know, as an example, that's a popular example, turning red in the face, quivering voice, getting sick to the stomach, losing your train of thought, right? These are all common consequences. And our mind connects A and C. Well, it only happens when I'm presenting like this. It doesn't happen when I'm talking to my friends, right? Uh, so it sounds good, but that's not actually what's happening. B stands for the beliefs your belief system. It's what you believe about A that causes C to happen. So B causes C. For example, I believe I'll be nervous. I believe I'll be nervous. And that floats there in the back of our mind. It's like a script. It repeats again. I know it. I know. I'm going to be nervous. Oh, I know it. I'm going to be nervous. I, know. I believe I'll make a mistake. I know it. I'm going to make a mistake. Oh, I know it. We call these irrational beliefs or negative self-talk, some people like to call it that. Right? Not inaccurate, irrational, because the reality is you might make mistakes. You must, might. You're most likely going to make mistakes, or you might be nervous. So to just say, I won't be nervous, or this will be the best talk they've ever heard, that's really difficult 
for you to believe whether you say it or not, because you, first of all, you don't know what other talks they've heard, or you don't know if you're not going to make a mistake. So then people try to offset this by things like memorization of a script, which is very difficult to do. So you want to replace it with something, what we would call rational, not just positive, like I'm good enough and people like me. Now, not just that, but like rational, like uh, instead of saying, I'm going to be nervous, you could say, replace that with, well, I can be nervous and effective at the same time. Now, you might not believe that yet, but this is where what we have found, it's more than just the psychology. We take a skills-based approach. You may need to learn skill, real skill around public speaking. And that doesn't mean you need to become a TED talker. That's a very specific kind of speaking. But there are things like we know how do we structure a presentation in a way that is effective? We know things like how persuasion works. We know if we're talking too much or too little. So there are skills that can be learned intellectually and behaviorally as we learn what we look like and sound like. And then that belief system gets updated and the nervousness goes away. For some people completely, some they'll never go away. They'll have it their whole life, but that's okay. A little nervousness isn't the issue. It's when it becomes so significant that it interferes. We call it control. You can control it. So there's a lot in there. Before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. That's why we made Mindvalley membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit, build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. It's a lot, but it's very effective. And I love the way you structure it as well. And we've kind of picked here on the public speaking one, because I feel like that's the one that creates, at least on a broad scale, seems to be the one that's most easy to point to, to be able to say like, oh yeah, this is something I want to improve or something I felt nervous with. But when we're expanding about communication in a workplace, you've already alluded to a few different scenarios, such as like in a board meeting or in just any kind of meeting amongst colleagues, this can be a very different scenario that causes a lot of blocks. And I've noticed some people within the time that I work at Valley would have very much trouble speaking up in a meeting, especially if a senior executive was there. Are we touching on similar triggers and, and beliefs here? Or are there some different dynamics at play when it comes to smaller oh. groups? Yeah, I think it's all in there. And it has to do with the perspective and belief system of the individual about that situation and that circumstance. I mean, in the research that we've done around the topic, the fear of speaking, there are four areas that we know contribute to this anxiety as a grown-up. The first one is what we call caring adults. It's usually when you're about two, two years old and you're reaching for the hot cup of tea and you hear, no, don't touch that. Right. And we learn for the first time in our life, the concept of a consequence before that you do anything, you knock over the tea. Oh, he's so cute. He's moving over. But then very quickly after that, it's shut up. Children should be seen and not heard like that whole kind of thing. Right now. It's not to say, don't say no to children. No one wants anybody to be burned by hot tea, but it helps to, to know it begins with us in this human experience. It begins young. Now, after that, we go to school. School's the second of the four. This 
school tends to be the first time in our lives we either witness or we experience some form of public humiliation. And that could be anything from the teacher saying, no, you're wrong. Didn't you do the homework? To bullying, teasing, and, and it doesn't even have to be us. It could be someone else in the class. And we're sitting in the back saying, gee, I'm glad that's not me. Right? So we could witness these things. And not just little kids school, big kids school, sort of our joke, kind of an inside joke here. Our office in, uh, we were in Beacon Street and Brookline on Beacon Street for about 48 years and about 10 minutes away from Harvard, where a lot of us uh, do instructing. And sort of the inside joke is some of these poor kids go to, to Harvard to learn a fear of public speaking. We say it kind of jokingly around, but in, in a lot of business schools, but it's, it's real. In a lot of business schools, the professor might have a class of 50 students. And maybe some of you listening here went through something similar. And the professor wants to teach the kids that in the real world, you need to speak up for your point of view. If you have a point of view at work, you have to say it. You have to learn to talk and debate and, and get it out there. Fine. I have no issue with that but then they'll have one poor kid stand up and they'll debate them live, trying to teach the class how to speak up for yourself. Well, if that goes well, 50 kids learn how to speak up. If it goes poorly, 50 kids just learned a fear of public speaking. And for some of them, it will never go away. It's something I've gotten into some arguments with people about many times, because there are better, there are more effective ways to teach that skill than to the risk of the fear of speaking. But the argument is always, well, you know, they, then they shouldn't be here. I'm like, that's just not a good argument. But school, so school contributes to this. The third one is television. Even though we understand television, video, streaming, whatever movies shows, even though we know it's fake, scripts, actors, make-believe, there are things we take away as real. Like for instance, the way in which people communicate, talk, with each other. Take any show you enjoy watching, right? Person A speaks, person B speaks, person C speaks, and out of nowhere, 100 people start to laugh. So next time at the office, you say something, I say something, and then nobody's laughing. Next time, I'll just think it. I want to say it, but I better not. And for some reason on television, everybody seems to have the right thing to say all the time. <laughs> so television contributes and there's more to TV about it that contributes to the psychology. Like there's no silence on television and there is silence in real life, but on TV, when two people aren't talking, they fill it sound effects, special effects, music, because dead air doesn't sell. So now here we are in the real world and I'm giving a speech at a board meeting and I lose my train of thought and it's silent. And the discomfort is very high, right? So that's a skill that we can practice and learn to be comfortable in those moments of silence. And if we've practiced, which is a skill we teach, right? Practicing, then if you did lose your train of thought, which happens, you don't have to study your notes. You just glance at your notes and then boom, you're back on track. And nobody cares that you were silent for 7.2 seconds, you know, a half an hour ago. <laughs> they don't care. You know, that this is crazy. I had never thought of looking at the TV lens in the way that you just described. And to me, that gives so many aha moments about why we have certain compulsions to speak fast, feel like we always have to be witty, have the right thing to say, this fear. Like I was someone who used to speak turbo fast. I still speak pretty fast, but I've learned to slow down. I've learned to be a bit better at letting pauses sink in as well. But again, these were trained skills. I kind of got 
indoctrinated because we all watch TV. And so to me, this is the biggest aha, because, you know, especially here with people that are following at Mind Valleys, we understand that early childhood can form a lot of big behaviors. And you've pointed out the big communication behaviors, but I do notice you said four, and I think we're still missing one. So what would be the last well, one? Well, the, the fourth one is real simple. We call it the thing. We call it that because that's mostly what our clients say. We hear comments like, oh, yeah, I got that thing coming up next week. Oh, I got that thing tomorrow. The thing, the idea of the presentation can really get people going inside of their own mind. So we look at, these are just four general things that we have found consistent in some form or another. And by the way, it's not an anti-TV campaign. I love television. I watch a lot of stuff. It's just helpful to know this is one more piece of fantasy is that in real life, we make mistakes. We really do. And some fun data for those who like data uh, in general American English, which is the accent that you hear me speaking with today. In the United States, we don't actually speak English, we speak American. But in general American English, the average person speaks at a rate of approximately 183 words per minute. It's known as the average rate of speech. If you go to a meeting and just start counting words, you'll get to about 183. A little more, a little less, depends on who's talking. We can think at like 600 words per minute. So therefore there's always like 400 or so words a minute in the back of our head doing other things. <laughs> and this is actually where a lot of the psychology and communication comes in is can we help people learn to get good at controlling that in their own mind? But with this issue of television and the mistakes and, and all of that with the nervousness, if you had to guess, Jason, if you had to guess or anybody of our listeners, uh, maybe in the text, think about watching television news, for instance. How long do you think the average soundbite lasts in a typical Ooh. newscast anywhere in the world? I mean, I think it's about 30 seconds. We're talking about like a, an update of something. No, the soundbite, I see the two seconds coming in. That's about right. That's a, the the, the soundbite would be the little clip that you hear of the politician, of the celebrity, of the whatever. It's a, little, a bite of sound. And it's typically like three to five seconds. It's like something, it's, it's quick, it's quick. So now look at some of the math here. Research tells us that in human communication, people make a mistake on average, every 100 words. We didn't say the word, the word we meant. Oh, I just did it right there. We flubbed a word and that we stuttered a little bit. We didn't pronounce the word the right way, right? This is so, and it happens so often we barely even notice it, which is why there's a big difference between grammar in oral communication, which is nobody cares about it as much versus written, a grammar mistake in the written, ooh, look out, a grammar mistake in oral and most of the world doesn't even know, right? But so we make a mistake there. All right, now let's do the math. We talk at 183 words a minute. We make a mistake every 100 words. The news shows you three seconds of someone talking. You don't see or hear enough of that person talking to hear the mistake that they made. This is why if you ever talk with a person who maybe attended an event live, and then they went back and watched it on the news covering it, they're like, wait a minute, that's not actually what happened. Or they got a very, or here's a good one for those who like to follow politics, whatever side, wherever you are with that, whatever country you're in, try watching the speaker give their speech and then immediately 
mute or turn off the television as soon as they're done and quickly write down what you think you heard them communicate and then put it back on and listen to the commentators and see if you don't find yourself wondering, did they watch the same thing? And this is if whether you like or don't like the person, I don't mean about that, just but like how communication is, is often just skewed and the lens of television contributes to this. But That's super interesting stuff. And it makes us at least question a lot of the assumptions we might have around communication, which is I think one of the most important things. Because, you know, I, I find it so unfortunate when I hear people just throw in the towel and be like, hey, I'm just a bad communicator. It's how I am. There's nothing I can do about it. And so I'm just going to leave it at that. And I'm, I, I feel heartbroken because I see communication being like the most powerful tool. I mean, we have one of our, our teachers on the MyVad platform, Lisa Nichols, says that communication is what stands between you and everything you want in life is your ability to communicate. And so I find it very unfortunate when people are saying like, well, that's it. I'm just a bad communicator. But you keep referring to skills. And when you use the word skills, it gives me hope. It tells me that this is something we can train and improve. And this is maybe where I wanted to end this is maybe understanding what are some of the key skills we should be working on and maybe the best way to work on them. Maybe something that people can walk away from this podcast and start working on immediately. Would you have something people could hold on to? Sure, sure. Absolutely. First of all, feel hopeful because communication is a learned behavior. And we see in our work, almost every day we'll hear folks come in with extreme nervousness and feeling nervous. And they go from feeling very anxious to raising their hand saying, can I do the next talk? It is a learned behavior. And there are some schools of thought that say you cannot not communicate, which is a whole fun discussion all by itself. But from a skills perspective, from a speech coach's perspective, we like to start with the strengths. And in most cases, people can communicate. They're just not connecting the dots. If you can talk at home with your family member, then you can talk standing in front of a group of a thousand people. When we look at terms like presentation, it has to do with the definition of the term. We call it all presentation. Every time you open your mouth, you're taking your thoughts that exist in your mind and you're controlling the muscles, vocal folds, and the articulators like the lips, the teeth, the tongue to shape the sound coming out to articulate your thought. And you can learn to do that. And you might, you don't have to be perfect, which is a nice thing to know. You can make mistakes and still be effective, but you can practice it. When we wrote Mastering Communication at Work, we, our intent was not to make like a popular airport book that talks about how to share your feelings, right? Those already existed. We wanted a skills-based book that would live on the bookshelves of executives around the world. And that's exactly what we built based on a lot of the tools that we use here at Speech Improvement. So if you look at things like, how do I structure a presentation? And what's the difference between presenting at a conference, a TED Talk, a sales presentation, an update in a meeting, an R&D research meeting, and academics? They're not the same. But if you understand that what you're doing, it's easy, easier, easier. There are things like in our articulation, you can practice. Even those who have English as a second language, you don't have to worry so much about the sound of an accent as we did 20, 30 years ago, where it was more of a distraction. Today, it's more about, are there specific sounds that, that you struggle with? The R sound, the TH sound, but you can practice those. Those can be learned how to do, like kicking a ball with your left foot if you're a righty. You can do it. And then there's a handful of other tools. I, I don't want to be sensitive to our time here because they go on and on and on and on. I mean, myself, my team here, this is what we do. We study 
the psychology and the mechanics of speech communication so that then we can bring it to people to help train them to get good at it. And so there is absolutely hope for you. So feel good. Well, feel excited about that. You've had over a million people go through your training. So there definitely is some hope. There is some major improvement. And I think a lot of people are going to be going out to pick up this copy of the book, which is Mastering Communication at Work. Definitely go and check out the link that we're putting in the show notes so you can find this book and then keep it on your bedside if you're continuously wanting to improve your communication, which wants me to bring a final question for you, Ethan, because we did talk about kind of the second edition you came out with really encompasses a lot of the transformations around virtual meetings. I mean, for now we're watching each other on camera for those listening, you might be just watching, sorry, listening on the podcast, but could you talk about some of the differences that you've noticed with how much we need to change the way we communicate or adapt to the way we communicate now that we're in a virtual setting? Well, COVID allowed us to really study what was going on with this virtual communication thing. And I think there's still lessons being learned, but in the general sense, things like the quality of your speech can help. If people, if all they have, if it's audio only, if all they have is the sound of your voice, then you want to make sure that they can understand you. If you're speaking in a language that is new to you or uncomfortable, and you haven't quite figured out certain sounds, then just slow it down. Inject pauses, which will allow your listeners that 400 words a minute back here to process and follow you. So that would be helpful with the zoom and teams and go to meetings and so forth like that. Then we look at things like framing lighting and sound. How are we framed in the camera and does it project a particular image that we wish or are we completely unaware? How do we sound? Does our microphone matter or not? And some of these things, it's not, I'm not just going to say, yes, it does matter. It depends. On a show like this, of course, the mic's going to be good, right? If I'm just talking with my teammate that I see every single day, 10 times a day, maybe I'm not so worried about my framing, lighting, and sound. But this goes back to general management communication, leadership communication, relationships, things like that. But your team meetings, uh, we found things like if you have a group of people, once the group size gets more than about 10 to 12, the ability to to stay engaged and alert for people diminishes very fast, very fast. I mean, it's like a curve that just almost drops off almost completely. So if you're in a training workshop and there's like 30 people in there, that's a different expectation. I mean, you're probably, it's more of a webinar style. That's sort of a sit and listen. But if you are in a more digital space, you got to find ways to be interactive. So that means really, really smart meeting facilitation techniques that are learned, that you can learn to do, things like that. So these are just some off the top of my head that, that come to mind in the virtual space. Ethan, thank you so much for your time and sharing all these topics for everybody that's tuning in. We wanted to really get people to get curious about how you can actually master your communication in the workplace. It's such an important skill to master. I think especially in the digital age, you've given also some cool ideas that people can optimize when it comes to doing our Zoom meetings, whether it's about making sure you have good audio, the lighting, the cameras as well. But Really, the biggest things I take away from this is understanding that number one, there is hope for everyone, which is if you are somebody that wants to improve their communication skills, it's not something you're born with. It is a skill you get to improve. And the biggest thing also is understanding the role that beliefs play 
in dictating how we feel when we're about to get on stage. And we all have various triggers, but there's ways that we can be auditing our own beliefs. We can see how these can be modified, changed, as well as improved. And the specific skills can be trained, whether it's about speaking more slowly, understanding and appreciating that pauses are the actually normal part of your speech. I love the four arenas that you spoke about, including our childhood upbringing, which came from our parents, as well as our school system. But the breakthrough one is understanding how being conditioned, even listening to this podcast, what most of you might not realize is we have a audio editor that takes out all the ums, all the ums. And even me, if, uh, if this introduction was left intact, you would have noticed I stuttered in my introduction and that was totally fine. Even now I just stuttered. And so I'm hoping this gives confidence for people to know that, you know, things are not as perfect as they look on a sitcom. And I was watching an episode of friends the other day and I was like, wow, everything's witty and on point. That's not real life. And so I love that this was actually brought to our attention to make people understand that there is hope, there is skills to develop, and you can do it as much as anybody else. I went from a place of not being a great communicator and continuously expose myself to more opportunities to speak, whether in meeting publicly on a podcast, whatever the medium was, I used the exposure to be able to improve those skills over time. And I know if you're listening to this, you can pick up a copy of Mastering Communication at Work. Second edition just came out, which also includes a lot of the digital mediums that are available to us today. And it teaches you how to lead, manage, and influence by mastering this so important skill of communication. Dr. Ethan Becker, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing these insights. I think you've put together an amazing tool and you have some amazing ideas that can support a lot of people to make the maximum impact and be a superhuman at work in the process. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Valley membership. Besides getting unlimited access to our top-rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.